We've been in a sermon series, and uh, you know, we, we obviously you guys are aware now that it's Palm Sunday, and just like Justin said that there at the end, whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem that week, uh, they they were they were believing that he was the Messiah. They were expecting him to come in and set up his kingdom and overthrow the Roman government. But the reason that he was riding a donkey was because if a king came in riding a donkey, he was saying, "I'm coming in peace." It was when they came on horses that they said, we're going to make war. But when you come riding a donkey, you come lowly and you come saying, I'm coming in peace. But they believed that he was the Messiah and they laid those palm branches down and they started to quote what Justin read, Psalm 118, Hosanna, which means save now we pray. Save now we pray. And just like he said, I believe sometimes that, that is a really good prayer for us to pray. We need to say, Lord, we want to. Well, listen, I don't, I don't want the Lord to just meet me a few years from now. I want him to meet me now. And that's what they were saying. We need you now, Jesus. We're desperate for you now. We need our Messiah. We've been waiting long enough. And there's a lot of times when we've, we're waiting so long on something, but there's this prayer that comes in our heart. Save us now, we pray. And prayer, you know, prayer is one of the most important things that we, we have as Christians. Would you agree with that? Amen. This, uh, this morning, I want to talk about prayer but as you know, if you've been here over the past five weeks or so, we've been in a sermon series called Copy and Shadow. And basically what that's about is the Hebrew author says that if you go to the Old Testament and you look at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself points to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so we've went through that step by step, but today we're going to be on the altar of incense specifically. And the title of my message is... is, is what is it? Put it up there. I don't remember. Yeah. The incense of prayer. Praise God. It's good morning. Amen. Pray for my mind. But here, so, so as we begin, I want you to, I'm going to be uh, coming out of Exodus 30. But if you would, won't you bow your heads? Let's just pray real quick together that the Lord would anoint his word. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for the fact that you are king. And that, Lord, we can have a cry in our hearts that says, save now we pray, Lord. And God, you know people that are here this morning, Lord, they've been dealing with difficulty, struggles, heaviness, depression, whatever it may be, Lord Jesus. But you are the Savior of the world. And God, in this very moment, you're able to bring salvation now in our bodies, in our spirits, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts, in our families. Lord, we pray, Hosanna, save now in this moment. As we open your word, let your spirit go forth into our hearts and minister to us, God. Speak to our hearts what you want us to hear, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was... Uh, I was at a, actually at a pastor's conference this week, all week, with about 100 different pastors. And the church that I was at, man, they've got like, you know, 12,000 people every Sunday. And then, and then the other guy that was preaching, he's got like 20,000 at his church every Sunday. And I'm sitting there listening to these guys talking about structure in church and leading church. And when you're thinking about all those things and how to run a church and how to be a good leader, I just got to be honest with you. As a young man with a small church, I'm, I get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes. And I think, my Lord, there's... I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, Lord. I don't know if I can do what I'm supposed to do, what I'm called to do. And as I'm sitting there thinking this, there's one man that get up, he gets up to speak and he says, he says one word and it was like the Lord just began to pour a download into my heart. And I had these images from my past because see, when you realize that you are a Christian and you have access to God, that you can come and you can pray to an almighty God who hears and he moves on your behalf and he hears your voice, something changes in your life. And I remember remember when I first became a Christian and even leading up to my conversion, I, I began to pray like crazy. And, and God took me, took me to these moments when I would get home from work and I would literally, as soon as I walked in the door, I would go to this back bedroom where there was a closet and I would lay face down in, in, in that closet for an hour, two hours sometimes, just praying to the Lord. Because I, I read that it said if you went in your closet, right, he would hear in secret and he would, and he would reward you openly. So I did that. And he took me back to these moments whenever I was really struggling with a addiction and sin and things like that, when, when I went out into this field every day after school and when I was in college and I went out into this field and I would take walks and I can remember the first time nobody was around. It was me and God in an open field and I lifted my hands to God and I said, Lord Jesus, I loved you and I shouted it as loud as I could and I felt the Lord touch my life that day. And he said, he said Clay, it's those moments right there. He said, I didn't call you because you were smart. I didn't call you because you were the best preacher. I didn't call you because you have the best organizational skills. You're going to learn and you're going to going to grow and you're going to get better. But I called you because you loved me and you were after my heart. 
And let me tell you, he said, don't ever get away from that. He spoke so deeply to my heart. He said, all these other things are secondary. And I'm telling you right now, all the other things in your life right now are secondary to your life and your relationship, you building your personal history with God. And it's through prayer that you build your personal history. And a Christian, a believer in Christ, should get to a point in their life where answered prayer is a normal thing. I don't know about you. I'm not one of those believers. There's some people that preach and teach. I've heard people say, well, you know, prayer is really just for you. It just changes you. No, I, I go with the old folks. You know what I'm saying? Prayer changes things. Prayer doesn't just changes me, change me. It changes circumstances. It raises people up. It encourages people. It drives out darkness. It delivers people from oppression. It heals sick bodies. And we as the, as the body of Christ have got to come into a place where prayer is essential because it's the very lifeline of our relationship with God. We've got to build that history with God. And that's what the altar of incense is all about. That's what this message is. It's the prayer of incense. And what I want to do in this message, I've been connecting the furniture in the tabernacle to what Jesus was doing in the book of John because John is literally taking us through the tabernacle in the gospel of John. If you remember... Whenever we first came into the tabernacle, he says, John says in 1.14, that the Word of God was made flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the, the literal translation of that word, he tabernacled among us. You go a little bit further and John the Baptist cries out, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world because the first place you step into the tabernacle was the altar where they would burn the Lamb of God for the sins of the people. And then you would move on to the bronze laver where they would wash themselves before entering into the holy place. And Jesus talked about this bronze laver because in John 4, He said, I am that living water. And in John 13, He washed their feet with that same basin in order to give them that cleansing. And once He entered into the holy place, and we've been in that holy place. You can put that first picture up if you want to. But in the holy place, you had, you had the menorah on one side, right? The candlestick. You had the table of showbread. Because the table of showbread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John 6. The menorah represented the light of the world. And He said in John 12, I am the light of the world. And so the priests would have been doing His priestly duties, and He would have been moving on now to the altar of incense before going into the holiest of all to present the, the sacrifice and the offering over the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat. And before he went in, he would have came to the altar of incense. And it's interesting to me that in John 17, just before he goes to the cross to put his blood and offering on the sacrifice, and just before the veil was torn, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to intercede and pray to God, representing the prayers that the priest would offer at the altar of incense. So in Exodus 30, let's read about it. Verse 1 through 10, he said, You shall make an altar to burn incense on. And listen, spiritually, we need an altar where we burn incense on it. I, I, in, in church, you know, sometimes we get away from, we get more and more people, we get highly programmed. Sometimes we get away from coming forward and praying. Sometimes we get away from kneeling down at our chair. Once the service is over, it's like, well, you know, that was long service. That was an hour and a half. I don't know about actually praying, you know. But we've got to get back to a place where we have an altar where we're burning incense on that thing. Where we're a people of prayer, where we understand as the church of Jesus Christ that if we ever get away from prayer, we've gotten away from the power. We've gotten away from the ability for God to move in and through us in any shape, form, or fashion. And he says, you've got to make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. It horn, its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make it for a molding of gold all around. That's a crown that went around the top of it. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides, and you shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. This means they could pick it up and make it portable and take it wherever they wanted to go. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you, and you shall put it before the veil that is in the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. And when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, 
Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And so once again, my first point right out of the gate, just like I said, is that the altar of incense is a picture of prayer. I want you to put, a, put those pictures of, of, of the altar up. I think I've got two you can run through. So there's my priest, right? He's at the altar of the incense right before he goes through the veil into the holiest of all on the day of atonement. And, and then the next picture, if you get a close-up of it, you see the poles where it's carried. It's acacia wood covered in gold. We'll make a little bit more sense out of that. And at the top is where you would put the coals to burn the incense. And you see those four horns coming out of the top of the altar. Now, just keep that picture in your mind as we go through some of this. Maybe it'll make sense to you a little bit more. But the altar of incense, again, it was a type of prayer, but it was also a type of the high priest coming in because Jesus was our high priest who would make intercession for us. Jesus is our intercessor. When He died on the cross for you, He shed the blood so that there'd never need to be another blood sacrifice. And it said He was raised from the dead on the third day and He was ascended into heaven and He's seated at the right hand of the Father, currently making intercession for you. When the devil comes against you and says, they ain't going to make it because they've sinned, they've done this, they've messed up, Jesus is interceding and saying, no, I've done already paid for that one. I've done already made a purchase payment of my own blood for them. And right now they're lifting up prayers to me and even though they may not pr pray the perfect prayer guess what I'm going to refine their prayers and, and give it to you Heavenly Father He's making intercession for you right now. He's on your side. He's on your behalf and He never stops interceding for you because He is the perfect great high priest. Even when we fail, He's there making intercession. But that acacia wood represents Christ's humanity. And it's covered in gold, which represents His divinity because He's both 100% man and He's 100% God. It's got a crown of gold around the top of it, which represents His Lordship and the fact that He has been exalted and given all authority in heaven and in earth. And that's what the horns on each corner represents. There's four corners of the earth, which means that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And then finally, the rings of the poles, the reason they could pick it up and transport it is because prayer is not just something that takes place in the church house. Somebody amen me. When I'm driving down the road, when I show up at work, I can pray and I can touch heaven. Prayer is portable. We can pray for people right now and send it out across the wavelengths of the spirit realm and it can touch people in another time zone. Prayer is that powerful. It's portable. It can move. And so he said, but this altar of incense, he says, you got to keep that incense burning perpetually. Why? Paul said that we are to pray without ceasing. We are never, there's always to be an aroma coming up from the church of Jesus Christ where God the Father is receiving our prayer in the heavenly realms. But Jesus is up there making intercession for us right now and he's called us to, to come into agreement with him to make prayer. Now I want to show you a few scriptures really quick. And I got a lot of Bible verses this morning. This is more like a Bible study this morning. But I want to show you a few scriptures that have a connection with prayers at the altar of incense. Isaiah 56, 7 says this, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now if you remember, whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, He actually right after that went into the temple, turned over the tables and rebuked the money changers and drove them out of the temple. And He quoted this scripture saying, My, 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 my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And He was basically saying, look, the temple of God the place where you worship is not a place for marketing. It's not a place for selling stuff. It's not a place for your own personal gain. It's a place where the people of God come together and realize that they can shape their community. They can transform a nation. They can see people saved because they know that they lift up prayers to God that are more powerful than anything else in this world. Let me tell you something. Prayer is more powerful than money. I know you don't believe that it is. I know you believe money can get more done in your life, but I'm telling you right now, prayer is more powerful than the cash that is in your bank account. And we have got to understand as a church that there's a lot of things that we think we need, but we put way too many things ahead of prayer. We put way too many things ahead of God. We had a prayer meeting just yesterday morning, and we got a Zoom call every Saturday morning. We're about 10 or 12 of us. It's open to anyone, but about 10 or 12 usually show up. And we were praying, and people are going through things, man. People are getting bad doctor's reports. We got people dealing with cancer and all of these things. And listen, I thank God for the medical field. But can I tell you that there's one who is greater than the medical field? The 
medical field tends, it tends to operate out of fear-based scenarios. It wants you to check up. It wants you to always be afraid. And, and well, there might be something wrong. You, you get about 10 reports a week as a pastor of something might being wrong, which turns out to not be wrong. And I'm going to tell you something. Look, I, I'll go to the doctor. I'll let the doctor check on me on occasion. But at the end of the day, I have something greater than a doctor. I have something even greater than science. I have the Word of God. And I, I believe in science. I believe in the power of science. But the creator of science is a man named Jesus Christ. And he's able to break into the dimension of time and reality. And he's able to heal things that doctors cannot heal. And we have to believe in that as the church of Jesus Christ or we're no longer the church. You could just call us the world. We're different than everybody else and we're different on purpose. We believe in the power of prayer. Somebody amen me. Right? And so we've got, to, we've got to stay in that place where we believe that prayer actually works. And he says, this is for the glory of God. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Notice that. Every time you pray, you may not see it in the spiritual realm, but angels all around about you say, man, something smells good in here. And they begin to gather around because they like to watch the people of God worship and pray. And David says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Revelation 5.8 says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Notice what, these, what this incense is. Which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightning, and an earthquake. I personally believe that there are bowls in heaven where God is storing up the prayers of the saints. And there comes a point in time when in Scripture, I could, I could give you multiple Scriptures to, to prove this and demonstrate it. There comes a point in time when the incense gets so thick in heaven of the prayers of the saints that the bowls are full and the angels say, we've got to unload this on earth. When we begin to pray, it moves something in heaven and before long, something has to make a change and the angels of God says it's about time to pour these things out on the earth and thunderings and lightning, power from heaven begins to be released in the earth. And God is saying, I need to hear the prayers of my saints. I've got to hear the prayers of my people. You remember whenever Zacharias, right before Jesus was going to be born, he was going to have John the Baptist. And in Luke 1, 8 verse through 13, it says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So Zacharias is going into the temple of the Lord. He's going to the altar of incense to burn the incense. And the whole multitude to the people, what were they doing? They were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. He says, your prayer has been heard. But what's interesting is if you read this in the Greek language, this can actually be, the Greek verb allows it to be translated, the prayer you no longer pray is heard. How many of you all, you've prayed and it didn't happen? Anybody? I've been there. And you know what happens? Here's what I find that happens with most Christians. Is they pray and nothing happens instantaneously sometimes. And because it doesn't happen instantaneously, in their natural mind, they begin to believe right off the bat, this didn't work, prayer doesn't work. And so they put very little value in prayer. They set it to the side. They say, you know what? There's other things that work be works better. The doctor works better. A lawyer works better. Maybe if I go to my buddy, I'll get things taken care of more quickly. There are other things that work better than prayer, so we give up on prayer. And see, John was in the same body because he wanted a baby like so many people do. And he didn't have a baby. And by this time, he was so old that it was naturally impossible for him to have a baby. But yet he comes in to give his priestly duties. He intercedes for himself, his family, and the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, the prayer that you stopped praying, the prayer where you lost hope, where you thought it was never going to happen, the prayer where you gave up because you were so tired of praying and not seeing an answer, guess what? God's heard it now. 
The time has come, and I'm telling you all, some of you need to not give up in prayer. I know you've been praying for a long time. I know you've been praying for something. I know you prayed for things this year, and they didn't happen. I know you experienced great loss. I know you prayed for miracles and they didn't happen and you feel like God lets you down. But I promise you, that is no reason to give up on prayer because some of your greatest victories, some of your greatest miracles have yet to be seen, but you can never give up on the power of prayer. There are many prayers that don't get answered and God is sovereign and He knows things that we don't understand and things that we don't know. But we are in a battle with the enemy and oftentimes our prayers are not answered not because God doesn't want to answer them but because we have resistance in the Spirit. We are in warfare against an enemy, folks. We're in warfare against an enemy that wants to steal your faith, make you not pray, make you not believe, make you believe that God cannot do anything in your life and wants to quench your prayer. And God is saying never stop praying. Never give up on the fact that prayer can change things. And so the, just like Zacharias, the high priest, he would go in. And once a, once a day, once, one time a year, he would go in. And when he would go in, he would make atonement once a year on the altar. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and stand at the altar of incense just before he went in. And when he got to the altar of incense, he would really do two things. He would pray and he would splatter blood on the horns of the altar. Okay, Leviticus 16, 17. Don't y'all love it when we go to the book of Leviticus? Everybody loves that book. You, you ever be asked like somebody be like, hey, what are you reading for devotional right now? Buddy, I'm in Leviticus. Nobody ever said that. He said, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes into the, in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. So he would make his prayers and he would pray for himself. He would pray for his family, and then he would pray for the entire nation of Israel and make atonement for their sins. And then he would take blood and rub blood and drip blood on the four horns of that altar. At Exodus 30.10, it says, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. And once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So we see that the altar is an example of a place of prayer. But number two, I want you to understand something else, that Jesus is our, is our example of prayer. You know, if I was God, I wouldn't think I'd have to pray much. You know what I'm saying? Does that, isn't that weird? Do you I always, I just think about Jesus. He's spending so much time in prayer. See, because when Jesus comes, he never ceases being fully God. He was always fully God. He always will be fully God. Before eternity, when He was the Word, He was fully God. When He became a little baby in a cradle, He was fully God. When He died on the cross, He was fully God. And when He was raised from the dead, He was fully God. But when He came in flesh and blood, He became a model for humanity. He was the new creation of humanity. He was the last Adam. And He was representing for us, this is what it's like to be a man in perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. And therefore, he lived a life of radical prayer, stayed in a life of radical prayer. And if you remember, when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's crucified, he prays, and he prays specifically three major points, if you read the entire prayer. It's a very long prayer, but he prays for his family. He prays for himself first, actually. Then he prays for his disciples, which represent his family. And then he prays for the church, which represents all of us. The same way that the high priest... What is he doing? He's praying the high priestly prayer. He's stopping at the altar of incense before he goes as the high priest to offer up the sacrificial lamb the very next morning. He's doing something beautiful. He's getting ready to go through that veil. You remember when he cried out, it is finished, what happened? The veil tore from top to bottom the same way that they would have after they offered this on the altar of incense. The veil would have opened. He's saying, I've offered the prayers. I've made the intercessions. The blood has been applied and the veil torn. And now there's no separation between you and God. He's making that a beautiful picture and he prays for these three things specifically. But remember when he's in Gethsemane. I love the story. I love the story because Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's praying. And he, he asks his disciples to pray with him. And he says, would you not watch with me one hour? I think there's something to that. I remember when I, when I first became a Christian, I took the Bible like so straight up. I, when I read, when Jesus said, will you not watch with me one hour? I kid you not. Now I got saved back in, back in you know, 13 years ago and so you had CDs back then. I had a worship CD that was one hour long. I'd hit play on that thing and I would lay on my face and pray until one hour was up because I said I'm going to watch with you one hour Lord Jesus, right? That's alright, isn't it, right? There's things that you got to do in order to, to spur your life in God. 
And I did that in the beginning. And he said, could you not pray with me one hour? They kept falling asleep the same way we do in prayer. We fall asleep all the time. I fell asleep in prayer, y'all. And I'm not talking about naturally. I'm talking about in my spiritual walk, in my walk with God. I fall asleep in prayer. And he says this to him. He says, listen, I want you to understand, guys. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's something on the inside of you that cries out, you know what I'm saying is real. You know you want your prayer life to be on fire. You know I've never spent time in prayer and got up and said, man, I wish I didn't do that. You ever? No, you haven't done it. Why? Because you feel the spiritual life that's coming from your relationship with God. But see, you get up the next day and you've got responsibilities. You've got kids to feed. You've got bills to pay. You've got a job to go to. And the flesh begins to invade your life to rob you of the prayer that God wants to come. And you, we've got that battle every day. And they had that same battle. But I love it because while they were waiting, it didn't stop Jesus interceding for them. And even when you fail to pray, guess what? You've got Jesus interceding for you. I mean, I was bringing all my failures to God. I told God, I was telling Andrea last night, I said, I'm not even worthy to be a pastor. So if you look at what's on the inside of me, I'm trash. And, and, and she said, she said, you know, you don't need to beat yourself up that bad. And I, and I was like, well, I get in the habit of doing that sometimes. But every now and then I'll get back into the presence of the Lord. And he says, Clay, even when you ain't the best, guess what? It don't matter. I'm interceding for you. I'm praying for you. I'm holding you up. I've called you. You didn't call yourself. I, I know how messed up you are. I think I don't know how. God knows how messed up you are. He loves you anyway. He's interceding for you anyway. He knows you've had struggles this week that you're really battling with. He knows you just about cussed somebody out this week. And He's interceding for you anyway. He's interceding for you anyway because He loves you and He's on your side. But He wants you to come into that place of prayer where you can receive. But Jesus is interceding for them. And what does He do? He sweats great drops of blood. Now, I read about this because have, have y'all ever known anybody that sweat great drops of blood? I've not known anybody. But medical science says that it's possible that you can be under such stress and such duress that your, your, your sweat glands burst and, and, and your, your blood capillaries leak into your sweat glands, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, and you start to sweat great drops of blood. But could it be that he's actually typifying the high priest because while he's at the altar of incense offering up those prayers, he is dropping the blood on the four horns of the altar. And that blood is dripping on those four horns of the altar and coming down. He's representing what the high priest would have done at that point. In his walk. And so here's the thing. Jesus is praying and he's weak, man. He says, Father, please take this cup from me. That's his humanity. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. And so as he rises up from this place of prayer, he rises up in a new position of power and authority. And he comes up and they come into the garden. They say, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, he stood up, he said, I am nothing else. I am. And when he said, I am, they all fell face down on their face. And in other words, Jesus is saying, you got to understand something, boys. I've touched heaven. All authority in heaven and in earth are given to me. You're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. You're not going to arrest me unless I put it in your very hands. And at this moment, the father was handing him over to sinful man in order to die for you because he loved you so much. And just before he goes to die, he intercedes for you. You who would sin against him, you who would fail him, you who would deny him. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. But I want to give you three specific things that when Jesus prays in the garden, three practical takeaways from how he prayed. A is that Jesus' prayer is personal. It's a conversational prayer with the Father because you got to understand, you need personal prayer with Jesus. You need personal prayer with God the Father. John 17, 1 through 5, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world was. And see, when we talk to God, once again, Jesus is talking to His Father in a personal way. Now, I don't know how you pray. When I grew up, I was raised Catholic a little bit. And so we prayed like, you know, we prayed the rosary and stuff. I got any Catholics in here? No? A couple? 
So we prayed patterned prayers. And patterned prayers are good. Like, I still pray patterned prayers. We pray the Lord's Prayer sometimes. Like, you pray different prayers that you're just repeating and going through a prayer. And those are all good, but you cannot allow your prayer to end there. you got to get to a place where you're talking to God conversationally the same way you would with your spouse. See, you talk, you talk long enough to somebody. Sometimes me and Andrea, you know, we'll finish each other's sentences. And they got this little running joke going. I don't know what it is, but if, if, you, if you finish somebody else's sentences, they'll say, oh, we need to break up. I don't know what that means. But we need to break up, you know, if you finish somebody else's sentence. It's something weird, but anyway. The point being is when you have a conversational relationship with somebody long enough, you get used to their voice. You get used to the way they talk. You get used to the way that they speak. And your relationship with the Heavenly Father, you should know His voice. You should know how He speaks to you. You should talk to Him so much that there's a, there's a friendship that's going on. Let me tell you something. I got a friendship with the Lord that none of y'all even know about. I got a friendship with the Lord. You know that when we get to heaven, it says that we'll be given a white stone with a new name on it that nobody knows except the Lord and you. And the reason nobody's going to know it except the Lord and you is because that white stone represents the relationship you had with God when nobody else was around, where you talked to Him personally and He talked back to you personally. And He shaped and molded you as you learned about who He was in the place of prayer. He wants that intimacy. He wants that personal prayer. And see, Jesus, five times he says, Father, Father. And I think sometimes in prayer when we call, call God Father, like we, we're getting very, uh, I don't know, maybe King James Versionist, right? Oh, Holy Father, right? And we get a little bit, we get a little bit like it's some kind of big uh, dignitary, dignified type term where God is separate. But truly what he was saying was Abba. It was a term of endearment. It would have been the same as a little Jewish boy running after his daddy saying, Daddy, Daddy. He's saying, I know that you are the one that when I cry out to you when I'm scared, you're going to answer. I know that you're the one that when I need something, when I need fed, you're going to be there to feed me. You are the source and supply of everything that I have need of. And he's using a name that none of the other Jewish people would have named. They wouldn't have dared called God Father. But Jesus had an intimate relationship with God where it was him and, and it was personal. And he knew him in a way that nobody else knew him. And God wants you to come into that place of prayer where he knows you and you know him in a way that nobody else knows him. And so sometimes people will say, well, what, who do I pray for? Y'all ever ask that question? Sometimes people come to me and they say, who do I pray to? You know, you got God the Father, you got God the Son, you got God the Holy Spirit. What you understand is that when you are saved, you are now in Christ. And as you are in Christ, He becomes your model for prayer. And in Christ, you pray to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit with the will of Jesus Christ in mind. That means that when you want to know the will of God, you need to look to Jesus Christ and understand that Jesus Christ is the will of God. And I can come in Christ. That means that my prayers are going to be answered, not because I'm good, not because I'm awesome, but my prayers are going to be answered because Jesus Christ paid for my prayers to be received. And so when I stand in that place, I go to God the Father, my heavenly Father, my Daddy, right, my eternal Daddy in heaven. And I come to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to have this relational conversation. It deals with my heart. And he begins to speak to me. You know, the scripture says that whenever they would go in, we read it earlier in Exodus 30, that whenever they would go in, he said, you could offer no strange incense on it. Don't offer any incense that's not supposed to be offered. And if you read in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Nadab and Abihu, right? Again, if you're having kids, Shauna, Nadab, Abihu, twin boys. Twin boys. Great names. But when they go in, they actually offer strange incense on the altar and they die because of it. Now this doesn't mean that the New Testament type of that is that if you pray a wrong prayer, you're going to die. Guess what? You get to pray wrong prayers. I've prayed some wrong prayers. Anybody ever prayed a wrong prayer? But that's why we have an intercessor because I could offer something up that's got all kinds of dirt and defilement with my own motives, but it hits Jesus and Jesus looks at it and he says, okay, I'm going to clean that off a little bit. I'm going to clean that off a little bit. I'm going to shape this prayer to make it what it should be and I'm going to present it to the Father. That means that he has a way of answering prayers even when we don't ask the right way because he is our intercessor. Man, that makes me feel confident whenever I pray because I know I've got him standing in the gap for me. I can miss the mark a little bit in my prayer. But here's the most beautiful thing is he doesn't want us to offer strange incense. What does that mean? It means that when I come to the Father, the best prayers that I pray are going to be prayed, not me praying to God, but the Holy Spirit praying through me. 
In other words, I develop a relationship with God. You know, you can come into the presence of God. You can have all your motives. You can have all the things that you want to pray. You can be like, Lord, I want this. I'd like to have $10 million. It would make life a lot easier. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. And you ask all of these personal things. But all of a sudden, in the presence of God in worship, your desires change. Your motives change. And you sense the Holy Spirit putting somebody on your heart to intercede for. And your heart begins to break because you know that person is lost and undone and in pain and without Jesus. And all of a sudden you start to pray unselfish prayers and the Holy Spirit is beginning to offer the true incense before the Lord. He says, you know what? You have not because you ask not. And sometimes you don't receive when you ask because you ask so that you may consume it upon your own selfish desires. And when we get with the Lord, man... You know that verse, everybody quotes it all the time. If you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. I remember back when I used to do a little bit of youth ministry, kids would be like, well, He said He'd give you the desires of your heart. I'd like a new white car, I'd like a puppy dog, and I want a boyfriend. You know, those are the three things of every teenage girl. They want a puppy dog, they want a good boyfriend, they want a new car, right? And they want those things. And they said, well, the Bible says He'll give you the desires of your heart. I said, honey, you got to listen to me now. Don't be upset with me. When you delight yourself in the Lord... He gives you His desires. Your desires change. You start to pray differently. You start to pray the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're offering up that pure incense before the Lord. Now, here's what it says. Here's what a guy said, Samuel Chadwick. Notice what he said. He said, while Christ the high priest intercedes in heaven, the Holy Spirit intercedes within the temple of the consecrated soul. There is such unity of purpose and harmony of method in the two intercessions that the two are one, and what is prayed by the intercessor on earth is prayed by the intercessor in heaven. The Spirit takes, the, takes of the things of Christ, the deep things of God, and makes intercession according to the divine will. He works in us both to will and to do the good pleasure of His will. In other words, He's saying that the Holy Spirit starts to intercede for you and Christ is interceding at the right hand of the Father. And what happens is all of a sudden God's will and your will come into alignment. And when you come into alignment with God's will, your prayers begin to get answered. And we're entering into this relationship with God where He's shaping us and He's changing us and He's molding us to His very will and He's working through us. And here's what He does. The Holy Spirit takes the deep things of God and reveals them to you. And I promise you, you need to test this out. I dare you to go home one day, put on some worship music and sit before the Lord and just ask the Lord, say, Lord, what do you want me to pray about? And wait. Wait for five minutes. Wait for ten minutes. See what begins to stir in your heart because I guarantee He will give you His very incense, the prayer that He wants you to pray. And when you begin to pray those prayers, you're going to see answers come. You're going to see breakthroughs happen. And as you press in deeper, you're going to see God minister to you. You're going to see Him move in your life, move in your family, and begin to change things. But see, when we pray in Jesus' name, y'all know how people say, well, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That's not any kind of particular token on the end. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray according to His will and according to his desire, according to what he wants to do. You remember the seven sons of Sceva, right in the Bible. They were, went to cast out devils because they saw Paul casting out devils. And they went up to a demon-possessed man and said, Hey, we command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about to come out. And the devil said, We know Jesus and we know Paul, but who in the world are you? Because Jesus' name is not just a name that you speak out of your mouth. It is something that comes from your heart because you are united with the one true God. And when you use the name of Jesus, you are coming in His character as His representative and as His ambassador. Why? Because He lives on the inside of you. And when Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you and you have a relationship with Him, when you speak the name of Jesus, there's power behind it. There's power that will make demons flee. There's power that will heal sickness and disease. There's power that will change situations. We believe in this. And so there's two types of prayer in His name. I want you to understand this. There's relational prayer and then there's authoritative prayer. Now, I want, to, I want to try to make sense of this for you because, because when you pray, most of the time when we pray, what do we do? We ask God for something, don't we? We say, God, we pray to you. We ask you to heal this person. We ask you to touch this person. We ask you to save this person. And our prayer goes to the Father for Him to do a work. But you've got to understand that if you look at prayer in the Bible, it's not only relational, but it's authoritative means they stand in the authority of Christ. Let me give you a really good example. If you read in the Gospels or you read in the book of Acts, the disciples will most often in their prayers make declarations or commands. 
I know people don't want to hear that because they like old-fashioned Baptist prayer, but they make declarations and they make commands. Amen, right? What does that mean? If you read in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, you've got Peter who goes into a house after a woman named Tabitha has died. It says specifically that he goes into the house. This woman's dead over there. These, these people are crying, going crazy. Peter says, hey, put them out of the house. He puts them out. He's in the room with the dead woman laying behind him. It says he kneels down and he prays. And then he stands up and turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise. He makes a declaration. There's two forms of prayer. He knelt and he prayed to the Father. And he got the will of the Father in his heart. And once he knew that he was in the will of the Father, he knew the Father's heart, he stood up and he made a declaration against death. Do you understand this, folks? What does that mean? I know, I know everybody in here got come from different theologies, different backgrounds. But you came way too late to tell me that God still doesn't heal. Now, i got to be honest with you. Probably the people that I've prayed for that have been sick or afflicted, I don't know, maybe I've seen 5% of them healed. i just got to be honest. But I think that can change. Because I believe that Jesus told us that we should lay hands on the sick and we should see people recover. I don't know all the ins and outs of prayer and how it works. I only know what the Bible teaches about it. I only know that it seems to say very clearly that we can anoint with oil those that are sick and afflicted, right? And we can pray a prayer of faith, not a prayer of doubt, not a prayer of theology or doctrine, but a prayer of faith, and the Lord shall save the sick and He shall raise them up. What I'm saying is that we've not scratched the surface in prayer of the capability that we have as blood-bought believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And just because your experience tells you that prayer doesn't work that often doesn't mean you need to give up. Let me tell you something. Your experience has not yet met the level of Scripture. And, it's not, and I'm not satisfied with sitting back and saying, well, I prayed for some people and it didn't work out the way that I wanted. No, I'm saying, God, there's more and I'm probably the one that's in the way, but I'm not going to stop believing. And what that means is that when somebody comes to me sick, I often will pray for them in private and I'll pray for God to heal them. But when I come and I pray for them, I don't ask God to heal them. I know the will of the Father and I'm standing there and I'm commanding healing into their body. Let me tell you something. When I pray, and I've, I've had to pray for people who are demon oppressed before. And when you're sitting there speaking with a demon, an entity, you know what you don't do? Father, would you remove this demon? No, you tell that demon to go in Jesus' name. And I know this is a little bit heavy, especially that's not going to help church growth. I don't really care. I'm preaching the Bible. Amen? So we've got to understand, folks, that if we're going to live the Christian life, there's a little bit more depth to it. There's a little bit more depth to it. And I know you may come in here and you may not have even been to church before, but let me tell you something. Read the Bible. You're going to find out these things. They're in there, and God is inviting us to live them, but we cannot live them without a life of prayer. We cannot live them without understanding what prayer is. B, let me tell you this real quick. Jesus' prayer reveals His mission. John 17, 4, He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. How did Jesus know He had a task? And two, what, how did He know what to do? And I'm going to tell you this. He knew He had a task and He knew what to do because He prayed. And somebody might say, well, no, but He's God. He knew everything that He was and everything that He was doing from the beginning. He became a human being on purpose, folks, to demonstrate to you that every single person in this room, every single person right, has a calling from the Father. And the way that you discover that calling is through prayer. God has things for you to do that you've not even uncovered yet because you've not come to Him in prayer and asked. And when he was in prayer with the Father, he said, Father, you've revealed to me what I've done and the work that I should do, and you have given me this work, and I have accomplished the work that you have called me to do. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has cast out demons, just like we said. As many people as you could imagine have come to him. He's healed every single one of them. A revival's breaking out in Mark chapter 1. You see crazy things happening. And the very next day in Mark 1.35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Over and over again, you see Jesus going into a mountain and praying, going to a solitary place and praying. And Simon said, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, this is amazing because you got the local newspaper showing up. Like, like, put it this way. Like if we had, a, let's just say we had a breakout of tons of people getting saved and God doing miracles. Man, everybody would show up and be like, hey, there's people out here that want you to preach. There's people out here that want you to pray. But what Jesus would have said is, you know what? I got to get away from here. 
He ends up saying, no, we got to go to another town. How did he know to go away and pray? How did he know to go to another town after that? He wouldn't even stay around. Why? Because he wasn't doing what the people wanted. He was doing what the Father was telling him to do. The only way, listen, you're going to get put under pressure and the people are going to try to get you to do some things. But Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing and I only speak what I hear my Father speaking. And the only way he could have known what his father was doing and what his father was saying was through prayer and intimacy. The father revealed to him. And so often you'd see in the book of Luke, the book of Luke represents Jesus as the Son of Man. And so it would have been, it would have been he's mentioned as the Son of Man more, and, and prayer is mentioned more in Luke than any other book. And over and over again, in Luke 3, you see Jesus praying and the heavens open and the Spirit descending upon Him. In, in Luke 6, you see Him going into a mountainside to pray all night to God because He's getting ready to, to, to select His 12 disciples. How many of us have ever prayed all night to God? And you're talking about God in the flesh deciding to pray all night because He's got a big decision. He understood the value of prayer. He understood it. He taught them. In Luke 11, the disciples come to him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They could have said, Lord, teach us to walk on water. Teach us to heal the sick. But they knew that his power came from prayer. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them about prayer. And in Luke, he taught two parables that basically say, when you pray, you never stop praying. Don't faint. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. It's going to feel like no answers are coming. But you never stop praying. You never give up because something is taking place in the spiritual realm when you are willing to prevail and persist in prayer until you see God bring a breakthrough. we got to continually offer that incense, folks. Amen. So is it possible that sometimes we're out of step? i got to be honest with you. There have been seasons in my life when my prayer life has been on fire and it feels like Jesus is walking right beside me. There will be moments when I'll go out and I'll just my heart will begin to beat out of my chest and I will have a sense in my heart, Clay, you need to speak to this person about Jesus. And there are times when my relationship with God just ain't that hot and I feel that strength, that power kind of waning from my life because my prayer life's not so hard, hot and, and my edge is not sharpened. Have you all ever sensed that? When you're close to the Lord, you start to feel people's hearts. You start to feel what they're going through. And when you're distant from the Lord, when your prayer life's not strong, man, you're aggravated, you're frustrated. I get that way. And you're wondering what's going on. And, and God is saying all those other things in your life are important. But I'm telling you, you've got to put the altar back in your life and start burning some incense before the Lord. You've got to get back to the place of prayer because that's where you're going to find your strength. John 17, verse 6 through 8. What you've got to understand is that Jesus had a task. He said, I fulfilled that task. And his task was to make disciples. Now, in John 17, verse 6 through 8, he says, I've manifested your name to the men you've given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them unto me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Now, do you think if Jesus, if God the Father gave Jesus the task of making disciples, don't you think he would give us something very similar? And the reason he was able to make disciples was because he was a man of prayer. And my question is, he shows you how he, he interceded for these men. And right now, you know, we're coming up on Easter. It's the time of the year for whatever reason, people will flock the church. Like we're having two services next week because we're afraid we may not even be able to fill up the seats because people come on Easter. But the whole purpose is not so we can just sort of get people in the doors or this or that. What we want is for people to have a real true encounter with Jesus, don't we? And I don't know that people have the encounter that God's called them to if the church is not interceding and praying. And my question to you this morning is, is who are you praying for? Who in your family doesn't know the Lord, needs help, needs deliverance, needs to be set free that you have failed to pray for? And God is calling you in. He's saying, look, I need you to intercede for these people. I need you to stand in the gap on their behalf because see, Jesus' prayer was for those who did not yet believe. And I'm going to finish right here. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. He's saying, Lord, I'm not just praying for these alone, but I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. And we've got to be praying for those who, are, who have not yet believed in Jesus. Amen. 
I'm telling you right now, folks, what God wants to do in our community is going to be really based upon whether or not we as a people are going to be able to get a burden for people who don't know Jesus. When we get a burden for our community, when we get a burden for people in our family that need, that need to know the Lord. There was a man named Charles Finney. I don't know, but I read about his story all the time. He would preach the gospel all over the place and saw thousands and thousands of people to come to Christ. But when he was interviewed, he said, really, it wasn't about his ability to preach. There was a man named Daniel Nash. You can read about it. Google it. Daniel Nash would go into every city before he would preach there two weeks in advance, book a hotel room, ask the people down at the saloon who was the greatest sinners in the community, go up and meet them, get the picture of their face in his mind. He wouldn't even say anything to them. He would go into a room for two weeks and intercede and pray and cry out to God without eating. And then two weeks later, Charles Finney would show up. And they said sometimes Charles Finney would just step onto the platform and men would begin to fall on their faces and weep. Why? Because that man had been interceding. That man had been praying. And the result of what we see in our spiritual lives and the lives of the people around us and the lives of our community, I believe, is a direct result of the people of God's intercession. We are priests under the Most High God. We've got to pray for ourselves. We've got to pray for our household. And we've got to intercede for our community and our nation and our world. This is what Jesus is calling us into. And I, I, I thank God that He intercedes for me every day because the Lord knows I need it. Amen. But let me tell you something. He's calling us to join with Him in this battle, to pray for people, to stand in the gap. You look at Jesus' life, and Jesus fulfilled the will of God. Nothing He really did was any more significant than the other because everything He did was the will of God. They were talking down there about um, talking with pastors. and You know, sometimes when you're around pastors, if, you, if you're sitting by a pastor that's got 20,000 in his church and you've got 250... You know, sometimes pastors can get a little bit weird or whatever. Like they can measure themselves against. You ever measured yourself against somebody else if they're doing it better than you, right, in your mind or whatever? Everybody's done it, right? There's a quote, though, that I, that I read years ago, and I shared it with this guy. And this, this, this particular guy, he basically said to them, he said, Look, all you young men, I know it's going to break your heart when you find out that somebody down the road has got a bigger church than you. He said, But when you stand before the judgment seat on how you cared for the souls that were given to you, you're going to stand before God and say, God, I had, I had just enough. I had plenty. My point being is, you may think that what you're doing for God is not that big a deal. But God is not going to judge you based on your fruitfulness. He's going to judge you based on your faithfulness. What's He calling you to do right now? For some of you, he's just calling you to say, Lord, I surrender my life. I've not even been saved. I need, to, I, need to, I need to get right with you. I need to repent of my sin, and I need to receive your salvation. And for you, that step is faithfulness today. And you could die today and stand before God, and he'd say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because you were faithful to the one step that he gave you. And right now, for the rest of you, he may be calling you to intercede for somebody, to share the gospel with a neighbor, with one of your family members, to go and pray for somebody. But you've got to ask yourself, what is God calling me to today? What is he asking me to do today? And so I just want us to be able to give, give the Lord a blank check on our hearts this morning. Amen. Can you just bow your heads with me? The Lord knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through, what you need this morning. But I just want you to surrender to God afresh. And Lord, we pray right now that you would move in every heart, in every mind. And Lord, if there's somebody here right now, I pray, God, that they don't know you, that, it, that if they don't know you, that you'd convict their hearts. And right now, just as an act of faith, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I, I really need to take that step. I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to experience forgiveness. I want to receive salvation. Would you raise your hand real high where I can see it? I see one. I see two. I see three. Anybody else?